0: of Kings, Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 1. This uh, reading is in connection with the Lord's Day that we'll be looking at this afternoon, Lord's Day 45, on the place of prayer in the Christian life. And chapter 1 is uh, the account of Nehemiah's prayer. So Nehemiah 1, beginning in verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the twentieth year, as I was in Susa the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. They are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O oh Lord, let your servant be attentive to the prayer of your servant. Uh, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name, and give success to your servant today, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. So far, Nehemiah, the account of Nehemiah. As we reflect on what we've read, let's sing together from Psalm 55, stanzas 1 through 3 and 10. Lord's Day in the afternoon service, we turn to the Heidelberg Catechism as a summary of Christian doctrine, and we find ourselves this afternoon in Lord's Day 45, that's on page 559 of your Books of Praise. There the question is, Why is prayer necessary for Christians? Because prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness which God requires of us. Moreover, God will give His grace and the Holy Spirit only to those who constantly and with heartfelt longing ask Him for these gifts and thank Him for them. What belongs to a prayer which pleases God and is heard by Him? First, we must from the heart call upon the one true God only who has revealed himself in his word for all that he has commanded us to pray. Second, we must thoroughly know our need and misery so that we may humble ourselves before God. Third, we must rest on this firm foundation that although we do not deserve it, God will certainly hear our prayer for the sake of Christ our Lord as he has promised us in his word. What has God commanded us to ask of him? All the things we need for body and soul, as included in the prayer which Christ our Lord Himself taught us. And then follows the Lord's Prayer. Brothers, And sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, this week we are now beginning a series of studies on the Lord's Prayer. We finished the Ten Commandments and the Catechism takes this new direction and will allow it to lead us and guide us as we uh, search out and study the prayer that God taught us. Uh, In the following weeks, our focus is going to be on the content of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, What has Christ taught us to pray for But this afternoon, we want to first reflect simply on the place of prayer in the Christian life. The Catechism says, this was always a stumbling block for me as I I grew up memorizing this, thinking, is this true? The Catechism says that prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness that God requires of us. Or in other words, it's the most important part of the Christian life. And you're not going to find a verse that says that. Prayer is the most important part of the Christian life. My first question is, do our lives, if that's true, do our lives reflect that conviction? That we hold prayer as the most important part of our life. Well, to answer that, we we then want to defend from Scripture the, the point that the Catechism makes, that statement. Uh, we might wonder, is that true? Does prayer need to be the most important part of our lives? Uh, is it, for example, is prayer really more important than, say, obedience, than following the Ten Commandments? Uh, can we say that the one is more important than the other? Both are part of the Christian life, and without either, you, you are not living a Christian life. Well, I want to start then by just defending the statement that the catechism makes. It's a true and biblical statement. Consider a few examples from Scripture. Uh, Acts 1, verse 14, talks about the disciples of Jesus as they were gathered together before the Holy Spirit came upon them. And it says, All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Is a devotion to prayer. Uh, The same word a chapter later, Acts 2, verse 42. It gives us a glimpse into the the Christian life and the the first Christian church. So Peter preached, 3,000 people were baptized. And it says they devoted themselves, the same word, to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. Those four things that marked the first Christian church. Uh, Acts 6, verse 4. Uh, In the early church, they appointed deacons uh, so that the apostles would be able to have the time and the energy to devote themselves, uh, same word, to two things. Uh, This is Acts 6, verse 4. The, The apostles say, We will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And that means uh, their two highest priorities, they, they saw there's two things we could do that are more important than anything else, and that is first prayer, and then the preaching of God's Word. And those are my responsibilities as well. First prayer, and then the preaching of God's Word. It's there in the form uh, for, for the installation of ministers as well. Those are the chief responsibilities of the minister of the Word. Now, we we do well as a church in honoring the position of preaching, uh, and yet we we should take note that that prayer is equally, if not even more, important. Uh, Colossians 4, verse 2, the Apostle Paul writes, "...continue steadfastly." In prayer, you get that same sense of devotion. There's something constant, fervent, uh, and, and uh, steadfast about the, the life of prayer or the, the p- place of prayer in the Christian life. Uh, one more, First Thessalonians 5, verse 16. Uh, he says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So he gives three commands uh, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing and give thanks. And at least two of those are prayer matters. Uh, uh, Praying without ceasing and giving thanks. Those are things we do in, in prayer before God. And you could even argue the first one. Rejoicing always is something that happens first and foremost in our prayers. In fact, David... Uh, In Psalm 116, uh, David reflects on the saving goodness of God towards him, delivering him from death. And he asks the question, What shall I render to my Savior uh, for all His benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all His people. So, David's first response, even before paying his vows, you can say that's that's closer to the, the Ten Commandments, the obedience part of his life, his first obligation, his first response is prayer to call upon the name of the Lord. And that that order, that priority in the Christian life is what the catechism is getting at here. Uh, what comes first in our relationship with God? Is it serving him with our actions? or speaking to Him with our words in prayer. Well, we've seen in the the past few weeks, as we've worked through the Ten Commandments, that the very purpose for which we were created is to know God, to love Him, and to live with Him. That's back in Lord's Day 3, and we saw that worked out as we went through the Ten Commandments. That's the, the first and the ultimate goal for which you exist. You live For the purpose of relationship with God. That's what God made you for. Uh, Not just to serve Him as robots, but to love Him and relate to Him as children made in His image. And, And so if you look at that, you can ask yourself, well, what is that relationship that God made us for? What's that look like in practice? And the Catechism is saying correctly, in the first place, relationship looks like communication. There is no relationship if there is no communication in the first place. Uh, God is our Father, and He wants uh, to, to be able to relate to His children. And the most basic, the most essential aspect of any relationship is speaking, communication, communication. Uh, we say this in marriage, in premarital counseling all the time. Uh, communication is the first thing. Uh, if you're not communicating, nothing else works. Uh, so that, that's what the Catechism is saying about prayer. Prayer is so basic to our relationship with, with Christ that you can hardly call a life Christian if there isn't first and foremost prayer, communication with God. I want to illustrate this by looking at the life of Nehemiah uh, and the prayer of Nehemiah that we read together. So, Nehemiah was an exiled Jew. He had been taken from Jerusalem. He was living in Babylon in a position of influence, serving as cupbearer to the king. Uh, It's a privileged position for, for anyone, and especially for an exiled Jew. And we read that on a certain day, Nehemiah received a visit from some of his friends in, uh, that came from Judah, and they reported to him the condition of the city in Jerusalem, how it was broken down in ruins, the wall was broken, and the people are living in, in shame. And, and hearing that news had a, a great effect on Nehemiah. And we want to pay attention to how Nehemiah responds to that distress. So here's the heat, here's the distress. Uh, the city's in, in ruins, there's brokenness, there's shame, and Nehemiah is greatly affected by it. How does he then respond? And uh, this is this is especially important because of uh, ne- who Nehemiah is. If you know Nehemiah at all, if you've read the letter, this is a man of action, uh, a man of action par excellence. The whole Uh, account of Nehemiah is is written in the form of, I did this, and and then I did this, and then I did this, and when they did this, then I did this. He's a man of action. But you notice the first thing that he does when he hears this news is not get up and act and do something about it. The first thing he does is go to God in prayer. Uh, Nehemiah 1 verse 4, As soon as I heard these words... I sat down and wept and mourned for days and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Why did Nehemiah pray before anything else? It's very simple. He believed that God and God alone could turn that situation around. Though he was a man of action, he understood there is no way this city will ever be rebuilt if it is not God does it first. And, and that conviction that, that my life and my city is in the hand of God, that conviction was so deep that it was an instinctual thing to go to God in prayer. Now we want to think about that as, as Christians as well. Uh, we ought to have such a deep conviction that our lives are indeed in the hands of God. That it's a thing of second nature, of instinct. We do without thinking that when distress happens, be it small, little things, or or great things. I mentioned a few weeks ago our our car breaking down. And the first reaction my grandma had was to pray to God that we would find a mechanic. Probably not the thing that I would have done uh, first. And yet so deep ought our conviction to be that our lives, the smallest things, are in God's hands that our first instinct is to pray. You know, some, sometimes we hear uh, in, in a hopeless situation we hear someone say, "Well, I guess there's nothing we can do but pray." And that's not wrong in itself, but it does beg the question: Were we praying before we decided that there was nothing else that we could do? Is is prayer our last resort, or is it, uh, or is it as it ought to be our first resort, the first thing we do before we do anything else? Nehemiah was a man of action. Uh, the call to prayer is not a call to you know, stop doing and start praying. No, he's a man of action, but he understood that the decisive factor in all that he did was going to be God's blessing. If God would bless it, it would prosper. If not, no action will ever make it happen. And we need to take that to heart ourselves as well, that God is, God is not only able to do what we desire of Him, but He loves to do so in response to our prayer, and it will not happen without His blessing. So this is is the heart of our Father God. He loves to do what His children ask of Him, and He loves to hear His children ask Him. Now I want to talk more about uh, how God answers prayer in a moment, But first, we should observe two things from from Nehemiah's prayer. Two things that happen every time that we pray, if we're praying well. Two things that happen. You can see this in Nehemiah's prayer. Number one, we bring our concerns before God, and we're reminded that He hears us. It's very simple. We bring our concerns, whatever anxiety it is, for Nehemiah, it was the city in Jerusalem. We bring our concerns before God, and we're able to know that God hears us. And we need this. We need to know that God hears our prayers. Uh, even before we talk about uh, whether God will answer it or how God will answer it, uh, we need to know first that God hears our prayers. Uh, that's, a, that's a deep human need to know that we are being heard. Uh, you husbands will, will recognize this if you've ever had your wives talking about uh, some long uh, problem and you're, you're trying to fix it, but you, 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 need, you learn that, First, she wants me to hear her. She wants to be heard. And, and so it is with all of us before God. We, we have a deep desire as human beings to be heard by our God, to know that he hears us. And so when we pray, we're able to lay our concerns before the throne of our Father, uh, who, we, who we know is able to carry them. He's able to carry our concerns, and we're reminded that he loves us and cares for us. Uh, Peter says it this way in, in 1 Peter 5, Cast all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Or as Paul says in Philippians 4, verse 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. It's an interesting phrase. Let your request be made known to God. It's not that God doesn't know them, but it's that we need to know that God knows them. We need to know that He hears us. So that's the first thing that happens in our prayers. We bring our concerns before God. Uh, But there's a second thing that happens, and that is that God's concerns become ours as we come to God in prayer. We not only bring our concerns to Him, but His concerns become ours. Our wills are brought into line with his and you can see this in nehemiah 's prayer as well, he comes before God distraught, and the, the source of that distress is the city of jerusalem he 's filled with sadness, he wants that that situation to be fixed, but not only do his concerns go to God about the city, but then god 's concerns about the city come down to him, and you see this in his prayer. Uh, So the source of the prayer is that the city is in distress, but over these days, it says he fasted and prayed for days, over these days you can see that God's concerns become impressed upon Nehemiah and they show themselves in his prayer. Uh, So when he prays to God in that prayer in verses 4-10, through he doesn't start by praying about the fallenness of the city, the the broken walls and so forth. Uh, Instead, the bulk of his prayer is a confession of sin. Uh, he, he confesses his sin, his family's sin, and the people's sin. As he's spent that time before the Lord, he's come to realize, why is this city broken and in ruins? It is our sin. So God's concerns, the sin of His people, become Nehemiah's. Uh, the whole reason they're in exile in the first place is because of God's concern, which is their sin. So these, these two things happen whenever we pray. We bring our prayers to God, and, and our concerns are laid at, at the, the feet of His throne, but then His concerns also come down to us, and our wills are brought into line with His. And, and we begin we begin to learn that that god 's concerns are, are greater are more significant than ours. Uh, the, thing that, the things that give us distress are a small part of the larger picture of God at work in our lives uh, so, so we see this this prayer in Nehemiah, and we want to recognize that Nehemiah is only one one example of of the sort of relationship with God that the Catechism is speaking about, where prayer is first. And foremost, uh, you might think of, of Daniel, uh, like Nehemiah, in a, in a position of power and influence, and, and also a man of action, just, uh, just like Nehemiah, but, but not for a moment deluded by that power, action, or, or influence, but convinced, like Nehemiah, that if anything is going to happen, it is God who is going to make it happen. And so we find him humbly kneeling before God five times a day in prayer. And if you read Daniel 9, uh, there's a a long prayer of Daniel's there, and it it, it carries the same notes as as Nehemiah's prayer, a prayer that's oriented towards the misery of the city, and yet spends the bulk of its time confessing the sin of the people of God. So again, his concern before God, God's concern becomes his. Uh, you You see the same thing again also in David. Uh, to give another example, so uh, if Nehemiah is the man of action par excellence, David is the man, uh, the, the warrior man par excellence. And we might think, well, a warrior, a soldier, uh, is, is strong and can get things done on his own, doesn't need prayer. But you see the very opposite in David. The mightiest man is a man of prayer more than any other. Uh, the bulk of the Psalms are written by David, and the bulk of them are prayers. Uh, prayer is not a thing only for the weak. It is for the strong who know that without God's help, they are weak and helpless. Uh, so, prayer, uh, so So, David also uh, lays his concerns before God. Uh, we sang earlier from Psalm 55 where, where he uh, calls all believers to do the same. Cast your burden on the Lord, and He will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. The same thing, cast your cares on the Lord. And and really, what's the best example you can think of, of a a life devoted to prayer in, in the pages of Scripture? I would say it would have to be the Lord Jesus Himself. You can't find anyone in Scripture more devoted to prayer Then the Lord Jesus, how often He would go away on His own, away from the crowds, up into the mountains to devote time to prayer. Uh, The hours in solitude praying before God, uh, often late into the night. Uh, You think of Matthew 26 where the Lord Jesus, uh, before His betrayal and death, uh, was praying late into the night as the disciples were falling asleep. The Lord was devoted to prayer And and that's the most surprising example because you would think that of all people who wouldn't need to pray, surely it would be the Lord Jesus, the Son of God, the man who knows the will of God more than anyone else uh, and, and who carries in himself the power of God. He is God. And yet we find Him constant in prayer. If the Lord Jesus needed to pray, how much more don't we need to pray? And, and the fact that the Lord Jesus was a man of prayer, is not in spite of His intimacy with the Father. It's precisely because of His intimate relationship with the Father. Uh, because that's what children do when they know that their Father loves them and cares for them. They speak to their father. Uh, the Lord Jesus understood better than any of us that God hears our prayers and answers them. So all of these examples, whether it's Nehemiah or Daniel or, or David or the Lord Jesus, all of them are examples of men of action. It's good to recognize that because sometimes people think that I'm just too busy to pray or I'm a man of action, I, I, I act rather, rather than pray. All of these are men of action probably more than any of us. They led very busy lives. They had tremendous responsibilities. But rather than their busyness being a reason not to pray, it was a reason to come before God in prayer. They were too busy not to pray. It was the very reason that they had to pray. God can accomplish in seconds what we might well waste a lifetime trying to accomplish without his blessings, And they understood that, and that's what brought them before Him in prayer. So, prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness that God requires of us. The most important part in the life of a believer. And it is because uh, through prayer, they know that God is able to do what they ask. And through prayer, God's will, or their will, comes into line with God's. Uh, So prayer ought to be the first thing that we do. And we should only act once we're confident that we have brought our concerns before God in prayer and that His will has become ours. Uh, Then we're able to to act uh, because then prayer actually undergirds and defines our action. It's only after we pray that we even know how to act. We must pray first then we will know the will of God. Now, inevitably, some, there, there will be some who ask, well, why pray if God already has everything planned? I'm sure you've heard uh, questions like that. Does prayer actually change anything? What do you think? Does prayer make a difference? I've actually heard it preached. I was shocked when I heard this uh, in a Reformed church, that because God is sovereign... Our prayers don't actually change anything other than ourselves. Is that true? I don't care what kind of beautiful, perfectly logical, theological system you might have about the sovereignty of God. And of course, we acknowledge that as much as anyone. That is not what Scripture teaches about prayer. It's just dead wrong. And it's good to remember, we are a people of the book. We're people of Scripture. God's Word is is our authority. Not our logic, not our ability to reason things out. God's Word is our authority on this. What does the Word of God say about the effectiveness of prayer? You think of Moses praying to God to spare the people of Israel and how God, it says, relented of His anger and spared the lives of His people. Prayer made a difference. Think of Hannah pouring out her concerns before God, praying for a child, and and God answered that prayer. Again, it made a difference. You think of Hezekiah praying for God to spare his life, and it says God added 15 years to his life. So Hear those words. God relented. God remembered. God added. That is God acting in response to our prayer. Prayer. Now, it's true, of course, that Scripture does teach that God is is sovereign. Scripture is unambiguous about that. He knows His plans from eternity. He has all things. Uh, he knows exactly what He accomplishes to to do. Uh, There is a logical barrier here that we're not going to be able to to cross in our minds. But if we say, well, therefore, for the sake of satisfying our our logical dilemmas, we're going to conclude that God doesn't act in response to prayer. It just kind of looks like He does. Uh, We're not listening to what God Himself tells us. Yes, God is sovereign, but He chooses in His sovereignty to act in response to to our prayers. Uh, the Lord Jesus says it so clearly in Matthew 7 Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be open. If you don't ask, you won't receive. If you don't seek from God, you won't find. If you don't knock, the door will not be opened. God acts in response. To our prayer, Uh, James. James, the brother of the Lord Jesus, he tells us in James five, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. He says Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. The prayer of a righteous man has great power as it is working. The catechism makes the same point. God will give His grace and His Holy Spirit only to those who constantly and with heartfelt longing ask Him for these gifts and thank Him for them. So God does act in response to our prayers. I think that now this is the right place to ask the question, does God always answer our prayers? Well, first, it's important that we know that He does hear them. He does hear our prayers. It's one of the most repeated themes in in the Psalms. The Lord is near to all who call upon Him, to all who call upon Him in truth. That was Psalm 145. We sang that earlier. He answers our prayers in different ways. Oftentimes, the Lord answers with a simple yes. Uh, Again, Elijah prayed for no rain. No rain for three and a half years. Then Elijah prayed for rain, and it rained. God loves to shower blessings on his children. He's a father who loves his children. Uh, most fathers, when your children come to you and ask for something that's good, you delight to give it. God delights to answer our prayers with a yes. And sometimes God's answer is no. Sometimes what we desire is not what's best for us. Sometimes we're not ready for what we desire. Sometimes God has something better than we can imagine and desires that we go through life with a no in order that He may give us an even greater yes afterwards. Or sometimes through a part of our life with a no so that He may give us a greater yes in a later part of our life. And sometimes then the answer is also later. Sometimes God does desire to give us what we ask of Him but we are not ready for it. So the answer is, not yet. You're not ready for this gift. Now, you might think of the Lord Jesus when uh, Martha and Mary called to him because Lazarus was dying. And, and do you remember what Jesus did? He, he waited. He waited for a few days so that Lazarus could die because he had a better plan for Lazarus than anyone else could have imagined. The answer was, Not yet. And, and sometimes that, that not yet is there because, because we need to learn, as Paul did, that for now, God's grace, which is better than the thing we desire, God's grace is sufficient for us. Now that's what Paul says in Second Corinthians. He speaks of a thorn in his flesh. We don't know what... What specific suffering that was, whether it was illness or uh, he was also fairly blind, could have been that as well. And he he says he prayed over and over that God would remove it. And God didn't remove it because Paul needed to know that his grace was sufficient for him. There's nothing like patient endurance under prayer, uh, or in prayer, under trial to refine us to focus us on the glory that God has in store for us. Sometimes God's answer is not yet, because I have glory prepared for you that you cannot yet see or imagine. And and sometimes, if I can add one more, a fourth fourth answer, uh, sometimes God's answer is also in changing our desires Uh, Sometimes we come to God in in prayer, uh, reading His Word, listening to His voice, and we begin to realize the thing that I desire is the wrong thing. And that now I desire something different, something better. That also happens. You think of Psalm 37, uh, verse 4, uh, where the promise is, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. If you delight yourself in the Lord... What will the desire of your heart be but the Lord? That's, that's what you are delighting in. That's what you desire. And He's eager to give Himself to us. Uh, so sometimes as we pray, our desires change. Again, as, as we bring our concerns to God, God's concerns become ours. And sometimes that means our prayer takes a different direction than we thought it would. Returning to the catechism, uh, question answer one seventeen asks the question: uh, What belongs to a prayer which pleases God and is heard by Him? And you can summarize the answer very, very simply. Uh, there's three things that ought to be there in our prayer. Uh, number one, we must know God. Number two, we must know ourselves. And number three, we must know the gospel. We must know that uh, we must know who our Father is. We must know who we are. And we must know who we are through Jesus Christ. Uh, so the, the foundation there is, is the first one. We must know God. We need to know who our Father is. You can't pray to a God you do not know. And we are not permitted to just assume that we know who He is. We have this invented idea of God in our minds and we pray to that version of God. No, we are to know God as He's revealed Himself in His Word. To get to know Him by listening to Him know what He is like. And, and then we, we make our words to Him, uh, our words to Him, a response to His words to us. I said earlier that prayer uh, is the most basic part of our lives because it's, it's communication with God. And, and communication is a two-way street. Uh, a prayer life is empty if it's only a one-way prayer life. Our Father desires not only that we speak to Him, but also that He speaks to us. And that's why we have the Word of God. It's through the Word, through the Bible, that God also speaks to us. This is why if if you find, especially in your family devotions, if you find that your prayers become uh, lifeless and routine, just the same words uh, all the time, one of the first questions you might ask is, am I, in the first place, listening to God? Are we reading his word, and then are we responding to what we read in prayer? If we're reading thoughtfully and attentively, we have no shortage of things to pray for. And fathers then can, can model this in their family devotions by praying responsively, praying in response to God's word. Uh, not just the same old routine prayer, but speaking back to God what he has spoken first. To you And accepting, if there are promises, accepting them, if there are warnings, acknowledging the conviction that he would have us uh, have, responding to God's word. And we should do this also in our, in our own private prayers as well. Our words to God should always be informed first by his words to us. And that's what it means to be in relationship with Him. It's not just, uh, you can imagine a husband-wife relationship. If all you did was ever speak to her, and you never listen to her, and and she doesn't ever speak back to you, do you have a relationship? Uh, No, it's not. Uh, Communication is a two-way street. Uh, Secondly, then, we must know ourselves. We need to remember that we are creatures who are dependent upon God's care. We need to know our frailties, our, our weaknesses, and our complete dependence on Him. Again, going back to Nehemiah, it's only when you know that we will not succeed apart from God's blessing that you will make it your first response to come to Him in prayer. So we need to know ourselves. Psalm 127, Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. We also need to know, so not only are we weak as creatures, but we're especially weak as as sinners, there's a double weakness here. On the one hand, we are, we are God's children and He invites us to, to cast our cares upon Him. On the other hand, we don't, we don't simply come casually or lightly because we also recognize that we have no right apart from Christ to come before Him. We do come with a reverence, a humble reverence, that recognizes we don't deserve to be able to speak to our Father. Again, our prayer should always be marked by the utmost humility and submission. You think of Nehemiah or even Daniel's prayer all the more, where the refrain is always, your servant, listen to the prayer of your servant. There's a humility, a submission there. And then lastly, we must know the gospel. We need to know that because of Christ's perfect life in our place and His obedient death, ...to pay for our sins, we are welcome to come before the throne of God. We need to know that. If we only know the first two, the righteous God and our own sinful condition, we're not going to pray, at least not in a meaningful way, with such a God. We must know that because of Christ, we are welcome before the throne of our Father. He loves us. Not because of who we are in ourselves, but because He loves Christ and we belong to Christ. Uh, so you might say, well, I'm not worthy of His attention. And no, in yourself, you're not. But Christ is, and you are in Christ. And if you are in Christ, He loves you as much as He loves Christ. That's what the Lord's Prayer was in John 17, that the love which you have had, that, that we have had since eternity may be in them and I in them. So, brethren and sisters, draw near to God in a life of prayer. Be devoted to prayer as your first and foremost part of your Christian life. That's what He sent Christ to save you for. That you would come near to Him, come to know Him, and then draw near to Him as His child. Now, over the next weeks, we're going to be digging deep into the Lord's Prayer. The prayer that Christ taught us uh, to discover the things that he would have us pray for and the concerns that are his. So that's where we're going to make his concerns our concerns by hearing how he teaches us to pray. So let me invite you then, brothers and sisters, to join me in praying these things again and in deepening and broadening our understanding of all of these requests that we might pray in a way that is worthy of the God that we serve, knowing that he loves to hear from his children. Amen. Let's respond by singing from hymn 63, stanza one.